we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. 1 Samuel chapter number 5. If you'll find your place there, we're going to take a little bit of a journey tonight. Uh, and uh, we're going to work our way through some scripture. And we're going to take a little bit of a journey. I know Pastor Hooks has been preaching uh, on the life of David and through the scriptures and probably has mentioned some of what we'll consider tonight. Uh, but uh, I believe we're going to take it in uh, probably a little bit of a different direction. But I want to draw your attention to just two verses, and then we'll kind of give you the context of everything and work our way uh, to a point. But in 1 Samuel chapter number 5, uh, I want you to notice this verse. Again, we'll give you the, the context here in a moment. But the Bible says in verse number 8 of 1 Samuel chapter 5, They sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said... Now watch this next phrase. What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? I want you to notice the question. It's being asked by Philistines, which were, uh, which were worldly people, and they're asking the questions, what shall we do with the ark of God? I want you to notice in chapter number 6, just a few verses down, in verse number 2, And the Philistines called for the priest and the diviners, saying, What shall we do to the ark of the Lord? I want to think about that question again. What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Now we'll give you a little background on the ark here in just a moment, but I, I want you to notice that question. I want you to keep it in the back of your mind tonight. What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the day you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity to gather tonight in your house. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you that we can draw from the word of God uh, wisdom and direction, discernment, strength, our spiritual food. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that we have the word of God before us tonight. And we thank you for the freedom that we have tonight to be able to gather and worship and sing praises to your name. And Lord, the blessing that uh, came to our hearts with the children singing and quoting scripture. And now we've come to the point in time in the services that we are able to preach the word of God. I pray that you would just, again, just fill us with your power and your presence to say that which you would have said tonight. I pray, Lord, you'd give us clarity of thought. I pray, Lord, that every heart would be open and receptive to your word tonight. I pray that you would, Lord, remove anything that might be a distraction or a hindrance to the preaching of your word that might be in our minds, things that we're thinking about we have to do tomorrow. Lord, anything that might uh, hinder the word of God going forth tonight, not only in our minds, but maybe in our midst. Just give us a few moments tonight where we can focus our attention on you. Guide us and direct us. Lord, I pray that we'd not only... Uh, again, receive the Word of God tonight upon good ground, but I pray, Lord, we'd respond as you'd have us respond, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You find the question mentioned twice, and it's asked by a group of people that you wouldn't think are asking it. It's asked by the Philistines. These are not God's people, but they have the ark of God, and we'll talk a little bit about how they have the ark of God. 
But they are now asking, now that we've got the ark of God, what are we going to do with it? Now a little bit of background concerning the ark of God that we have to understand. The ark of God was that piece of furniture that was placed in the holy of holies in the house of God. Uh, The ark of God was that piece of furniture that... Uh, speaks to us today of the very presence of God because the very glory of God rested upon that ark. It speaks not only of the presence of God, but the provision of God, the protection of God. Uh, It speaks, if you will, of the very power and presence of God. And so uh, the Philistines now have uh, have taken the ark of God, and uh, and now they're wondering what in the world we're going to uh, where are we going to do with this thing? Now flip back to chapter number four, and I want to show you how it came to pass that they uh, came into possession uh, of this ark of God that speaks again of the presence of God. This, these are the Philistines. The Bible tells us in chapter number four and verse number two that the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. As you know, the people of God, the Israelites, uh, always found themselves over and over again in conflict with this group of people, uh, the Philistines. If you know the story of David and Goliath, that was going on at that point in time, a a battle between Israel and the Philistines. And so uh, at this point, the Philistines and the Israelites were going to war uh, and going into battle. And in verse number 3, we find something interesting. In chapter number 4, now remember, Israel is still in possession at this point of the ark, okay? But notice what it says there in verse number 3. The Bible says, When the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. What began to happen was, as God's people had the ark of God, that, that represented the presence and the power of God, uh, and, and they began to, uh, began to treat it somewhat like a good luck charm. Notice that little word in verse number 3, it may save us. They got to the point where they were trusting the ark more than they were trusting the God of the ark. They were trusting that which represented God more than they were trusting God himself. And so they, uh, they go into this battle and the ark of God is taken from the Israelites by the Philistines. And as you begin to follow it through, you find that uh, uh, the, finally the glory of God departs from Israel and, uh, and then you begin to follow the, the ark. And when you come to chapter number 5 and chapter number 6 and chapter number 7, you begin to see that the Philistines had the ark of God. They thought, boy, we've got the ark of God and and this is going to be a wonderful thing. Now, uh, Israel has no power against us. Uh, and they're not trusting in their God. They're trusting in this thing, but we've got possession of it now. Uh, And so they, they get it, but then they begin to think, well, what are we going to do with this thing? And the Bible begins to record for us, and we're not going to take the time to go through there, but if you want to go uh, a little bit later and start looking around, you'll begin to see in chapter number 5, chapter number 6, the Philistines began to move the ark of God around from city to city 
uh, in the land of Philistia because where the ark of God was, the people of that city began to uh, be smitten of God. God began to God began to wear them out and began to uh, to work on them to where they were just completely miserable. I'm not going to go into detail of what God did. Go and read it for yourself. But just put it this way: they were really uncomfortable. And so they said, we've got this thing and, and we've got to get rid of this thing. So they sent it to another city and God smote that city. And they sent it to another city and God smote that city. Ashdod and, and Gath and Ekron. And it began to travel around the land of the Philistines. So they finally come up with the idea that what they would do is they're going to send this thing back to Israel. We've got to get rid of this thing. So they take the ark of God. Remember now, the ark of God speaks of the presence of God primarily. Also the power of God, the provision of God, the precepts of God. And it speaks of God himself in representative form. And they said, we've got to get this ark and we've got to get it out of here. So they put the ark on a cart. And they get two milk cows and they say, we're going to send the ark of God and these milk cows are going to take this thing out of the land of the Philistines. And so that's exactly what they do. And so finally it comes, uh, when you get it over into chapter number uh, 7, flip over there real quickly, we'll look real quickly here. Look what happens when you get to chapter number 7. The Bible tells us uh, that uh, in, in chapter number 7 that the ark was finally, finally landed and was placed in the home of Abinadab where it stayed for 20 years. Notice verse number 1 and 2 of chapter 7. And the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of uh, the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim that the time was long for it was 20 years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And so the Philistines take possession of the ark and, and God begins to smite them over and over again. So they say, we're going to get rid of this thing. It goes uh, to Kirjath-Jerim and it goes to the home of Abinadab and it sits there for 20 years. Now during that 20 years, Saul is king in Israel. And it's an amazing thing that during that time, while the ark of God is in the home of Abinadab, and Saul is king in Israel, uh, we learn in 1 Chronicles chapter 13 that at no time did Saul ever go and try to retrieve the ark or inquire of the ark. He, he just acted like it didn't exist. But then you fast forward a little bit and David becomes king. David is king and David makes the decision. One of his first decisions is... We've got to get the ark of God back home. We've got to get the ark of God back to its rightful place. Now remember, the ark of God speaks of the power of God, the provision of God, the protection of God, the precepts of God, but most importantly, the presence of God. And what David basically was saying is this, what our nation needs is the presence of God back. You see, when the, when the ark was taken by the Philistines, the glory of God departed. And so now here they were, a nation void of the glory of God. We could camp out right there and preach another message. 
But David said what we need is the glory of God to return. And so David goes out and he begins to retrieve the ark of God. Now if you will, flip over to the book of First Chronicles, chapter number 13, if you will. First Chronicles, chapter number 13. First Chronicles chapter number 13. This is a familiar story, but I'm going somewhere with it, so just, just ride along for a minute, okay? Bible says in First Chronicles chapter number 13 and verse number 1, And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds, with every leader. David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it uh, be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us, and let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at, at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said, that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Sihor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hemath, to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David went up in all Israel to Baalah, that is to Kirjath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God, uh, uh, of God the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims whose name is called on it and they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio drave the cart and David and all Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals uh, and trumpets and when they came into the threshing floor of Kidon Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Wherefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Now let me just give you a real quick cliff note version of what's going on here. Again, the ark of God had been taken by the Philistines. God began to smite the Philistines. They began to move it from city to city. Finally, they said, this thing's wearing us out. We've got to get rid of it. So they sent it away. It came to Kirjath-Jerim. It landed in the house of Abinadab. There it stayed for 20 years. Fast forward now, David is king, and David says we need the glory of God back in our nation. We need to get the ark of God. We need to get the presence of God. We need to get the power of God back, back in our land. We're going to get the ark. And so that's exactly what they do. Can you imagine the excitement? Can you imagine the anticipation as David begins to gather all the people together and they go with great joy and great celebration. They're going to get the ark. 
And David said, we're going to transport this ark and we're going to bring it back to Jerusalem, put it in its rightful place, and I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. He got caught up in the excitement of it all. And so he said, you know what? We're going to go get a cart and we're going to transport the ark of God and we're going to get the nicest new cart we can possibly find. I mean, they went down to the cart dealership and they talked to the salesman and the salesman said, boy, I've got just the cart for you. And they went down and they went out on the lot and there it was and, and, and David said, that's, that's it, that's the one. He got to looking at the cart and I'm going to tell you something, it had that new cart smell. <laughs> and they got all excited about it. They got that cart and they went down to, uh, uh, to Kirjath-Jerim to the house of Abinadab and they got the cart, uh, uh, the cart and they got the ark of God and they placed the ark of God on the cart. And with dancing and singing and music and celebration, they began to transport the ark of God back to Jerusalem. And they hit a pothole. It must have been somewhere near Columbus, Georgia. <laughs> they hit a pothole. And the ark of God began to teeter as if it was going to fall off the cart. And a man by the name of Uzzah, who by the way we learn, uh, we learn later uh, is Abinadab's son, reaches up to steady the ark of God to keep it from falling off of the new cart. And as he touches the ark, he is struck dead by God. You say, boy, that's pretty harsh. Why would he be struck dead? Because, watch this, the ark of God speaks of the presence of God and God is holy. Now watch, you say, what's, what's the big deal? Here's the point. You know this, but I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere. David got caught up in the excitement of it all. And he began to transport the ark on a cart. You say, it was, yeah, but it was a nice cart. It was a new cart. Yeah, but God's word said you're not to transport the ark that way. You see, God had a particular way to transport the ark. And that was on the shoulders of the Levites, the priest. There were rings on the side of the ark of God uh, and they had these long staves that they would put through those rings and the Levites would bear it up upon their shoulders and carry it in that way. And God had given a great detail on it. Watch this, exactly how to do it. And I began to ask myself this question, why in the world did David, David had to know better, why did David decide to get a cart and transport the ark of God? And then it kind of dawned on me. How did the Philistines transport the ark? On a cart. What was happening? You say, well, God didn't strike them dead. Because that's, that's the world. There are certain things that God's people cannot do. But the point of the matter is this. What was happening? Watch this. David was trying to do the right thing the wrong way. Uzzah was trying to do the right thing. I believe Uzzah was sincere. I believe he was trying to keep the ark from falling. But God struck him dead. Now here, this is in the message, but this is, by the way, don't be afraid. Long introduction, short outline. Stay with me. I told you we're going to take a trip, okay? We're following the ark. And so, Uzzah's dead. David has, has tried to do... By the way, we need to be real careful. This is just a side note. 
We need to be real careful when we start handling holy things the way the world does. We're seeing a lot of churches today that are doing things in the name of worship and holiness, but they're doing it in a worldly way. We need to be careful of that. That was free. And so, Uzzah's dead. David is thinking, what, what, what's, what have I done? Look what it says in verse number 13. Or verse 12. Let's go to, back to verse 12. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and, all, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom in all that he had. I want you to note this tonight. All of that just kind of building towards the message, but I'm just going to give you three, three quick thoughts tonight. I want you to notice verse number 14. The Bible says the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. So David, after Uzzah dies, David takes the ark of God and he says, Okay, I've messed up. We cannot, we cannot transport the ark on a cart, even if it is a new cart. We need to find the nearest place we can leave this thing until we can get this right. And so he places it in the home of a man named Obed-Edom. We don't know a whole lot about Obed-Edom, but we do know this. God blessed him and his household for three months while the ark of God stayed at his house. I'm going to give you three things about Obed-Edom that I think are applicable for us this evening. I want you to note number one, Obed-Edom made a discovery. Obed-Edom made a discovery Watch this. The Bible says the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. You want to know what Obed-Edom learned in three months? Obed-Edom learned in three months that uh, God makes a difference. Remember, the ark represents the presence of God. And so if we could put it this way, for three months, the presence of God was in the home of Obed-Edom. I don't know about you, but I want God to be present in my home. I want the presence of God in my home. You know, there's a lot of bushes in the desert, but Moses was only attracted to one because God's presence was there. There's a lot of places where Jacob slept, but we speak of one because God's presence was there. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. Obed-Edom discovered that where God is, that is a special place. He learned for three months. He said, wow, things are different. Things are different. And I say this, this evening, there's no doubt a lot of churches in town 
But I want to be in a church where the presence of God is and where the blessing of God is. There's a lot of homes represented. And I'm here tonight, a lot of homes. But there's the homes where God's presence dwells. We need to be careful tonight that we're not commonizing and casualizing the presence of God. Obed-Edom made a discovery. God's presence makes a difference. And that's a discovery I believe we all need to either make or continue to think about. God's presence makes a difference. I want you to notice secondly something about Obed-Edom. Told you, long introduction, shorter outline. He made a discovery, but I want you to notice, flip over to chapter number 15. Chapter number 15. Secondly, Obed-Edom made a decision. When you get to chapter number 15 now, the time has come, the three months have elapsed, David has left the ark of God in the home of Obed-Edom. He's gone back. He's got a new strategy, a new plan. He consulted the word of God and said, okay, we need to to do things a little bit different. So in chapter number 15, he begins to send for for the ark of God. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 15. Now, David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it. Uh, a tent. And David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. Imagine that. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto his place which he had prepared for it. And so this time he decides we're going to do it the right way. We're going to do it the way God intended for us to do it. Uh, Notice notice verse number 13. He said, For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought Him not after the due order. Folks, listen, there's there's just the right way to do things, and there's the wrong way to do things. Some people say, well, you know, as long as you're sincere, I don't really think it matters. You know, you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. God is concerned about our motives, but He's also concerned about our methods. And so, David sends for the ark. Now this time, there is no new cart. This time, it's the Levites. This time it's, uh, it's the priest. Uh, this time uh, it's the staffs. This time he's doing it after the due order. Verse number 15 says, And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staffs their own, as Moses commanded according to the word of God. You say, well, preacher, what is the right way? I'll tell you the right way. It's found right here. It's found right here. Well, we just need to get back to the book. So off they go. They, they begin to transport the ark the right way. 
And you began to see their lifting up their voice in joy. Notice verse 16. David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers with instruments of music, psalteries, harps, cymbals, sounding uh, by lifting up the voice with joy. And it goes on, it begins to talk about all of those people uh, that, that were uh, making the trip and transporting the ark of God. Uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce all of these names, but you begin to see in verse number 17, uh, you, you see uh, Heman, Joel, Asaph, uh, on the way down through there, you begin to see many other ones that are uh, taking part in this procession. And, and about halfway down through this list of people, you get to verse number eight, uh, 18, and and you find the name Obed-Edom. Look, look at verse number 18. And Obed-Edom. You get down to verse number 21. And Obed-Edom. You, you, you get uh, uh, down through here to verse number 24. And Obed-Edom. You see the point that I'm making is this. Obed-Edom learned something during the three months that the presence of God was in his home. He learned that God makes a difference in your life. He learned that God's presence makes a difference in your home. And now here he begins to hear something in the distance. It's a group of people coming. And, and the thing that he had really not been looking forward to was now coming to pass. They were coming to get the ark and take it out of his home and take it to its rightful place in Jerusalem. And I can picture Obed-Edom pacing the floor. Boy, it's been a good three months. Hmm. Man, they're going to come and get the ark of God and take it. I sure hate to see it go. God's really blessed my... He's, you know, the truth of the matter is, my entire household has been blessed. And in comes, in comes the Levites, and they've got their staffs, and they step aside, step aside, and Obed-Edom's there, and he's... Hmm. And they take the staves and they put it through the rings and they lift it up on their shoulders. And all of the, all of the crowd starts getting excited and they begin to sing. And Obed-Edom knows this is the right thing to do. Obed-Edom's really deep down excited about it, but he hates to see it go. And they began to make their way out and, and they began, and Obed-Edom, you, know you know what he said? I'm going with the ark. I'm going with the ark. And so Obed-Edom joins in the procession and, the, uh, and they transport the ark back to its rightful place. You say, what's the point, preacher? He made a decision. You say, you can know that the presence of God makes a difference, but somewhere along the way, we've got to decide, I'm going to stay with the ark. Or let me put it better tonight, I'm going to stay with God. I'm going to stay with God. Well, we've got some homes tonight, I believe, that are represented here that needs to make a decision. I'm going to stay with God. He wanted to be where God's presence was. He wanted to be where God's blessing was. He wanted to be where God's power was. And so Obed-Edom made a decision. If God indeed makes a difference, I'm going to go with God. Now let me let me... Let me put that into 2022 terminology. We need some people who will make a decision for the Lord tonight. You say, preacher, where does that start? I'm glad you asked. It starts, number one, with making a decision about your salvation. 
You see, the truth of the matter is, uh, the, uh, if, we're not, if we're not saved, if we don't know for sure that we're on our way to heaven, none of the other stuff matters. I was having a conversation a little while back with a, with a man. I was out uh, and knocking doors and talking to him, and he started talking about all the things that, you know, uh, he needs to get this out of his life and do this and do this and do this. And I said, what, what about your salvation? We started talking about that. He said, well, you know what, I'm, I'm close, I'm, but I've got to do this and I've got to get this and I've got to get this. And I said, you know what? I said, if you, if you stepped up on, onto a baseball field, And I said, if you took your bat and you hit the ball and you hit it over the left field fence, I said, what would that be? He said, that's a home run. I said, just imagine, just imagine today if I stepped up and I hit a home run over the left field fence and I started jogging around the bases and I I passed first and second and third and come home, hit home plate and I'm high-fiving all my team teammates and they're patting me on the back and patting me on the head and everybody's happy and the fans are going crazy and the umpire's standing there and he says you're out nobody can hear him because everybody's celebrating and chanting my name and all of that good stuff hey it's great home run we win and you're out and then everybody gets quiet what do you mean what do you mean we're I'm out I hit it over the fence he said it doesn't matter doesn't matter. I touched home plate. Doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter? You missed first base. You hopped right over first base. And if you hop right over first base, it doesn't matter if you touch second base, third base, home plate. Doesn't matter that the crowd's chanting your name. Doesn't matter that you hit it over the fence. None of that matters if you miss first base. You know, I'm afraid we're going to get to eternity one day and find out that people miss first base. I wonder tonight, and I'm just going to insert this real quickly because we're talking about making a decision for God. And the first decision you must make for God is first base, and that's this. Do you know for sure that you're born again? Jesus met with a man by the name of Nicodemus who was a very religious man. Nicodemus had all the answers, religiously speaking. He knew the scriptures. And Jesus said to him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, what must I enter the second time into my mother's womb and be born again? Jesus said, what's born of the flesh is flesh. But what's born of the spirit is spirit. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You see, there are a lot of people, I believe, who are doing religious things but they've missed first base. I wonder tonight, do you know for sure you're saved? You see, the truth of the matter is, the Bible teaches us that all are sinners, or all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, for there is none righteous, no, not one. We're all sinners. The Bible goes on to say that there is a payment for sin, and it's it's death, for the wages of sin is death. You see, the truth of the matter is we're all born sinners with a death sentence upon our head. And that's not just a physical death. Pastor Hooks mentioned it this morning. That's a spiritual death. It's called in Scripture sometimes the second death. It's eternal separation from God in a place called hell. 
But I like this. The Bible says also, but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, I'm so thankful to report to you tonight, I was born a sinner. I was born with a death sentence upon my head. But Christ loved me so much that He put on flesh and came to this earth and went all the way to the cross of Calvary. And there He shed His precious blood to pay a debt that He did not owe, but a debt that I could not pay. And He shed His blood. He purchased me. Why did He do that? Because He loves me. He loves me. The Bible goes on to say, yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, we've got a decision to make. You see, let's just hypothetically say I got out here and I got in my car and I was speeding down the highway. The speed limit is posted and, and, I, and I'm speeding and the, the, the police officer pulls me over and he says, Mr. Brown, do you know why I pulled you over? And I say to him, Yes, sir, I was probably driving a little fast. And he said, yes, sir, you were speeding. And he writes me a ticket, and I've got to appear in court to give an account of that ticket. And let's just say, just for, for a hypothetical situation, I get to the court, and the judge says, how do you plead? And I say, well, sir, I have to plead guilty. I was, I was speeding. He said, okay, since you are, are found guilty, he slams his gavel down, and he says... $300, and I say, I don't have $300. I couldn't even begin to pay this fine. He says, okay, 30 days in jail then. So I'm guilty, and the sentence has been passed. And I'm helpless. I can't do anything about it. But let's just say this. Let's say the judge then stands up, and he takes his robe off. And he steps down out of the bench and he reaches in his wallet and he takes out $300 and he lays it on the table. And he says to the court reporter and the bailiff in the back, this is to pay his fine if he'll receive the gift. You say, why would he do that? Because let's just say that he is a judge and he's a fair judge. And he's a just judge, and the judge has to put a fine on the sin. But let's just say that the judge is also my dad, and he loves me. And as judge, sentence is passed. As my dad, he loves me. And he says, I'm going to pay his fine for him. And now I'm standing there, watch this. And I've got a decision to make. I can either receive the gift that's offered or I can try to pay it myself. The only difference in this one is it's 30 days in jail. Spiritually speaking, it's eternity in hell. You see, Obed-Edom made a discovery. God makes a difference. Obed-Edom made a decision. I'm going with God. If you're here tonight and 
you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, I would encourage you tonight, make the decision to receive Him as your personal Savior. He loves you. He died for you. He wants you, he wants you to be saved tonight. Number three, and I'm done. Fast forward real quickly. Flip back to chapter number 26. First Chronicles chapter 26, and I'm done. I want you to notice the end of the story. And Obed-Edom made a discovery. Where God is is where the blessing is. He made a decision, I'm staying with the ark. And he reaped a dividend. Look at chapter 26. For sake of time, I want you to notice verse number 4. Moreover, the sons of Obed-Edom were... And I'm not going to read all these names. But if you skip down to verse 8, All these of the sons of Obed-Edom, they and their sons and their brethren, able men for strength for the service, were threescore and two of Obed-Edom. Sixty-two descendants of Obed-Edom are in the house of God serving the Lord. And we trace it back to a discovery that he made and a decision that he made. And now his sons and his grandsons are serving God. Wow. You see, the decision you make tonight will affect your children and your children's children and all those coming behind you. It pays. It pays. Is it always easy? No. Are there difficulties? Sure. But it pays to stay with the ark. What shall we do with the ark of God? Understanding tonight the ark is simply representative of the presence of God. So I would ask it this way tonight. What shall we do with the Lord? Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.